0: You're listening to a message from Highway Church, entitled, The High Life, Part 4. Enjoy. And the promises of God reveal His heart towards us. And sometimes, man, you won't find the heart of God in, well, a lot of times, in man's religious doctrine. But in the promises of God, you'll see His heart towards you. So we like to major in the promises of God at Highway Church, because that's where the real heart of God is revealed. And this is what it says in Romans 8:32 it says he that spared not his own son gave everything he could give right but delivered him up for who for you right that's a demonstration of his love isn't it how shall he not with him also freely give us a few things no freely give us all things so it seems like God understands what we need, right? It seems like He's made provision for you in 2015, right? That within the sacrifice of His Son, everything you could ever need has been provided for you. Isn't that amazing? And to you, it's free. It wasn't free to Him, right? He gave his son for it. But to us, it was freely given. And because this this overwhelming display of love was put into effect 2,000 years ago, we have no fear now coming before him. We know that he will freely give us all things. That's kind of one of the the gauges you can use in your own heart. Are you afraid to come to him? Or do you come before him freely, knowing that he's ready to move on your behalf. Amen. Ephesians 3.20, we looked at it last week, says he wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. Man, that's big. Amen. Yes, it is. I can think a lot, right? John chapter 10, I just, I love Jesus. He's my favorite. He's my hero. And I love the way he speaks in John 10.10. This is from the West New Testament Jesus is declaring his purpose for coming to the third rock from the sun. He said, "I alone came in order that they might be possessing life." Wow. So far be it from us to change his purpose, right? Let's just let Jesus be Jesus. He came that they might be possessing life and that they might be possessing it in super abundance. Sometimes the Greek words are so colorful, it's hard to put them into English. So superabundance is a good word, right? And then in the, uh, let's see, go go to the message. He said it this way. I alone came so that they can have more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Wow. That's his heart. That's his heart. And we said the high life, do a little quick review, it's not lived through religion. It's lived by relationship, right? You don't experience his promises in religion. You get a lot of rules and regulations in religion. But when you come to know his love, you find out that he's promised you things. And he did that not based on your performance, but based on his, his heart towards you, right? Based on his son's performance, And we said the high life is lived by love, not by law, right? Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Isn't that good? Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. When you're walking in love, you won't break the law, right? You won't do harm to those around you. So love really is the answer. So we took some time. And we ended last week by talking about one of my favorite guys, Abraham. Good old Abe. Not Abe Lincoln, but Abraham. What was his last name anyway? You know, you know. Ham, Abra, Ra, Ham, Rob is his middle name. Abraham. Yeah, I like this guy. And one of the reasons I like this guy is because the law wasn't around when he lived. He lived 430 years before the Ten Commandments. All that he had was a relationship with God. Now, he wasn't born again. No one could be born again until Jesus rose from the dead, right? He wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit had come yet. But God called this man Abraham. In fact, we let's review this. This is so good. Most people don't realize this. But Abraham, living 430 years before the Ten Commandments, right, before Mount Sinai, and who did the law come through? Moses, remember, Right? Well, Abraham lived about uh, 430 years before that. And because the Bible uh, is so detailed in its genealogy, we can go all the way back to Adam and we can count up the years from Adam until now for the most part. And it's about 6,000 years from Adam until today. So from Adam until Jesus was about 4,000 years. From Jesus until today is about 2,000 years Why is that important? Well, from Adam until Moses, until Mount Sinai, was about 2,554 years without the law. The law was put into effect, right, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and was only in effect for about 1,446 years until Jesus rose from the dead and presented his blood in the heavenly holy of holies. And then from Jesus' time till now, another 2,000 years, there's a whole new principle and law in effect. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So out of those 6,000 years, only 24% of them were with the law. Why is that important? Because we were made to live by love, not by law. And religion majors in the law. Jesus doesn't. Okay? Okay. So we like to help people come out of the law into love and to experience God in a very real way. Eden, would you put up, or Olivia, whoever's driving back there, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. This is what Jesus did. So it'd be kind of silly for us to go back and live under what Moses did, unless Jesus didn't come. But he did come, and this is how the message says it in verse 2, it says a new power is an operation. The spirit of life in Christ like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You know what I think when I read that about a strong I think of raking leaves. I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, we used to, we lived in, uh, uh, last, the first home we had bought, there was a big, like, maple tree hanging over the fence of our backyard. Or was it an oak? Uh-huh. Maple. It was a maple, wasn't it? And this thing was huge, and I was so glad for it because it just gave us great shade in the summertime. But when the fall came, man, did it have a lot of leaves. And those leaves would fall, and we would just rake and rake and then fill some more bags up and rake some more and rake some more. But one time we came home, and this windstorm had come, and the leaves in our yard were gone. And it was awesome. But then we moved out into the the country, into Dighton. Now we've got five acres of land and about two and a half, three acres of leaves. And man, that was like an endless, brutal tyranny, trying to clear the land of those leaves. Because you, I, what I ended up doing is get this huge tarp, and I'd put it on the back of my tractor, and I'd rake like a mountain of leaves on that. I'd tow the tarp back into the woods and go get another one, and then the leaves would fall again. And we put up the next translation of that. What do we got in the um, Phillips? And that's not the one. Let's see. Is it? Um, there you go. Verse 1. Go to verse 1. Was that verse one? I'm sorry. Yeah, verse one. No condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Jesus Christ. Okay, verse two. For the new spiritual principle of life in Christ lifts me out of the old vicious circle of sin and death. So, I mean, it took me weeks to clear leaves a few, a few uh, falls ago. I got a leaf blower uh, two, <laughs> two years ago. And that's been an awesome thing. But this year, I didn't even have to use it because, again, a strong wind came onto our property and cleared the property for me. (laughs) So there's a vicious cycle of living in this world where you're trying to live life in your own strength. You know, it's like the leaves of the, the, your own efforts. Your life is covered with your own efforts. And you get out the rake of self-effort, and you're trying to clear a path for you so you can go forward, and then you make a mistake, or, or the enemy tries to condemn you, or, or, you know, condemnation, guilt, depression, discouragement, fear, worry, anxiety try and cover you up. Well, this strong wind of what Jesus Christ has done has magnificently cleared the air. So, anytime anxiety blows into your yard, right, you, you, we put our trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord becomes a strength of our lives. So, we're a different kind of people. We don't allow anxiety in our lives, we don't allow fear, we don't allow worry, we don't allow depression. Right? We, we actively resist these things and we grab a hold of God's heart toward us, the one who freely gives us all things. So, Abraham, I like this guy. He grew up, it tells us, I think it's in Joshua 24 2, that Abraham's dad worshiped other gods. He grew up in a pagan household. And The scriptures also tell us that we're of the faith of Abraham. I can't imagine it was very easy for Abraham to do what he did. He grew up in a religious tradition that was contrary to the living God. And God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 12 and asked him to walk away from his religious tradition. To walk away from the tradition of his father, his earthly father. And historians tell us that the culture of the day, one of the most um, dominant Gods they worship was the god of the moon or the goddess of the moon, N A N N A I think was her name. And God speaks to this man Abraham. There's no Ten Commandments. There's no Levitical priesthood. And He says, "I want you to come out from the religious tradition you've been in, and I want you to walk with me." And He does it. <laughs> that well, that couldn't have been easy. What was his dad's reaction? I wonder. Right? Who knows? I've kind of experienced a little taste of that in my own life, because I had to walk away from religious tradition I grew up a Man, there I got a very vehement reaction from that. So maybe his dad freaked out on him, but you know he walked away because he was he wanted God more than he wanted anything else. And and the Bible gives us insight. The New Testament gives us insight into the into the heart of Abraham. And let's put that up there in Hebrews chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven. So by faith, Abraham did this, right? He didn't have a church to go to. They were worshiping the moon at his church, right? God wasn't speaking there. And in that culture, if you look at the, the pagan cultures, the gods that they worshiped were distant and impersonal, right? And now the living God is actually talking to him. He's coming close to Abraham. This was radically different from what he knew. And he believed him. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to leave everything that he was familiar with and go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing where he was going. No three-year, no five-year, no seven-year plan. All that he wanted was him. Next verse. Verse 9. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, Remember that word promise, right? The promises of God are what reveal the heart of God. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now here's verse 10, the verse I wanted to get to. Here's what reveals Abraham's motivation. What would motivate a man to walk away from the traditions that he grew up with? For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew there had to be more to this life than what he had seen. There had to be more to this life than the religious tradition he grew up with. And he made a decision, God, I want you more than what I, anything I've ever known, more than anyone I've ever known. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm following you. Have you made that decision? I mean, I grew up in a home where fear ran rampant and there was pressure put on You've got to go out. You've got to earn a living because, you know, you've got, to, you've got to go to school. You've got to get the right job. You've got to make sure you're making enough money. And there was something about that that just didn't sit right in my heart. And I started talking to God about it when I was a, a young man, about 17 years old. Said, it just didn't sit right. I thought there's got to be more to life than that than trying to get a good job. And I shared with you before, maybe months ago, I'll share it with you again, I ended up reading a Ray Bradbury book, Fahrenheit 451. And I remember I came across this quote, and I didn't know the scriptures, and this is not scripture, but there's truth in it that is. And it hit me, and it says, Search not for security, for there never was such a beast. And if there was, he'd be related to the great sloth, which hangs from a tree and sleeps its life away shake the tree, and knock the sloth to the ground. And I said, yes. That, 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 in my heart, I knew there was truth in that. And the truth is, there is no security in this world. You can't get the right type of degree to guarantee your future. But there is a guarantee for your future, and it's in Christ. Amen. The guarantee for your future is following him. Yeah. So I began to talk to him and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Show me what your plan and purpose is for my life. And you know what? He started talking to me. (laughs) I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know Jesus, but he started talking to me. And every major life decision I had to make, I would just talk to him. I'd walk and say, God, you show me what you want me to do. And then thankfully, someone gave me a Bible about a year and a half later, and I started reading the book of John, and everything opened up. After that, I read the words of the real Jesus and I I gave my life to him and I I learned how to to hear him and to walk with him. And boy, what what a fun adventure it's been. But I didn't know where I was going. And I still don't. But I know more than I did 26 years ago. I know enough to hear him. I know enough to let the peace of Christ lead me instead of the pressures of the world and the pressures of society as to who, you, who they think you should be and what they tell you you should do. See, what's in you is greater than what society can comprehend. What's in you is greater than what man can understand because man didn't make you. You came from your parents technically, you could say, but ultimately you really didn't. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Your parents were conduits for you to come into the earth, so they didn't make you. And we honor our parents, so we're thankful for them. But our heavenly father is is the one who begot us in Christ, right? We've been born again, and he's now our father. And our life purpose is found by following him. And there's no fear in that because he's given us all things, right? So I like this guy, Abraham. Man, he's bold, right? Now, you remember John uh, 1.17, right? Can we put that up there? I like this one. Kind of knocks the religion right out of us. Wasn't it John 1, 17? It says the law was given by Moses. Good to remember that. Most people thought God gave the law. But the scriptures declare that Moses gave it. Mm. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Make note again that truth is paired with grace, not with the law. Truth is with Jesus, right? Grace and truth are paired together, and they came not through Moses, but through Jesus Christ. Very important. So, what God has for you is found through Christ. His grace and his truth that sets you free doesn't come through Moses. Now, what tribe did Moses come from? Do you guys know what tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel? Do you know what tribe he was from? Not Benjamin, Levi, yeah. And what, what came from the tribe of Levi? The priesthood, the Levitical law, right? So Moses came from the priesthood, the tribe of the law. What tribe did Jesus come from? Judah. Did God make a mistake? What's Judah mean? Praise of God. Moses came from the tribe of law, but the Savior came from the tribe of praise. Why is that important? Because praise grows out of love and relationship. There it is again. We're made to live by love, right? We're made to live by love, by relationship. Jesus came from the tribe of praise. And so well, you'll find when you, get, when, you, when you begin to live your life in praise and worship unto him, things will begin to flow. That can be a little unnerving or scary if you're not used to that, uh, if you're used to living by the law. Because there's a freedom to be the real you when you begin walking in his love. But boy, is it worth it. Is it worth it? All right, let's see here. Good. All right. Let's talk about Abraham a little bit more. Now, Abraham, keeping in mind, had a different focus than his family. He was looking for this city, this place that God built. He was looking for this God life, this supernatural life, this greater than this world life. The life that Abraham was looking for actually was brought into the world through Jesus Christ. Jesus said something crazy that made people want to stone him. He said, Abraham saw my day. He rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad in John 6:29. And they said, you're not even 30, you're like 30 years old, or I forget what they said to him. You're not even 50 years old, something like that. And you saw Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I am. But Abraham and Jesus actually met. There's two places. I don't know if I have time to look at both of them. We're going to look at one of them today, that Jesus appeared to Abraham. Very powerful. But before we look at that, I want you to look at what Jesus said. So you understand the Old Testament by learning the New Testament. So Jesus, the the Messiah in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, he says something very powerful. See, Jesus didn't come to make his disciples do what's right. He came to bring them into a relationship with him. He chose them that they would know him. And they walked with him. They lived with him. They got to know him. And on one, one a day in the life of Jesus, he's walking with his disciples in Mark chapter 11, and he's hungry, he goes to a fig tree, there's no fruit on it, and he speaks to the fig tree, he says, may no one ever, ever eat fruit from you again. And the fig tree dies, it, it withers from the roots and dies, and his disciples are amazed at this. So this is a demonstration of a, of a, a supernatural power within Jesus. And what's interesting is his response Jesus was a matter of fact, and he says to his disciples, embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. Go ahead to verse 23. So Jesus doesn't push them away and say, I did that because I'm so, I have some special supernatural power that you can't have. He was demonstrating to them a different way of living, that you can take authority over your situations and circumstances through faith in God. Go back to verse 22. The Greek actually says, where he says, embrace this God life. Sometimes it's hard just to capture it in English. I think the message does a great job right here. Not always, but in this verse. But the Greek says, have the faith of God. It's a possessive. Some translate have faith in God. In other words, he's saying, come up higher. I'm inviting you to come and live at a higher level. I want you to live differently than your traditions have taught you. I want you to live differently than people who aren't looking for a city, whose building, whose builder and maker is God, all right? I want you to embrace this God life. So Jesus appeared to Abraham, to this man who left his tradition, who walked away from the things that he knew, And Abraham developed this relationship with God. And faith in God and faith in his promises is a very powerful thing because it enables us to see things that we couldn't see in any other way. It enables us to understand things that we couldn't understand. Can you put up Hebrews 11.1? Hebrews 11.1. It says, uh, let's see, let's, yeah, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So there's nothing uncertain about faith, right? Now, faith obviously in God and his word, right? Faith in God and his promises is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So there was a certainty about Abraham when he walked away from what he knew. He knew that God somehow would not fail him. That what God had for him was better than anything he had dreamed of. Right? Verse 3 tells us something. It says, by faith we understand. You can't understand the reason for you being on earth apart from faith in God and his promises. Life will be a mystery to you. Man is struggling to find the meaning of life, which is right here. Through faith in Christ, through faith in God and his promises, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So here's Abraham walking, seeing things that could not be seen by others. Let's see, how are we going to do that? All right, before we get to Jesus appearing to Abraham, let's take a little, little break and let's let's talk about this relationship that he had a little bit more. So he's walking with God. There's no Ten Commandments. God is speaking to him, and he's following. Did Abraham make any mistakes? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 12. He, 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 uh, Paul says he preached the gospel to Abraham, right? And, and he said, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And you read later in that chapter, Abraham goes into Egypt, and he lies to Pharaoh. He right, lies to the king of Egypt, and he tells him that his wife is his sister because he's afraid of what might happen to him if, if, if they know she's well. So that what, is that pleasing to God, lying? No, he made mistakes, Abraham. But God wasn't looking for someone who didn't make mistakes. He was looking for someone who would trust him. Amen. The same is true in your life. He's not, looking, he's not watching uh, your behavior to see if you do everything perfect every day. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for to see if you can trust him in the midst of the world that we're living in, if you'll take him at his word regardless of what's going on around us. So in Galatians chapter 3, let's go there. I like Galatians, Hebrews, Romans, because this whole idea of love versus law, faith versus law was a big deal in the new church in Paul's day. Because you had Israelites who had been living under the law for almost 1500 years and their hearts had become so hard that when God stood before them in the flesh Jesus stood before them they couldn't even recognize him not all of them but many of them and that's what can happen when you become legalistic and if you've ever been in a church like that they're so they're so focused on their rules they can't even see Jesus and right? when you come in, they want you to get in on their rules and their system and, and so, that, so that you can earn the merits that they've created. But the whole, the whole time, they're missing Jesus. But Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3, and it's very powerful. Let's take a look at it, Galatians chapter 3. So he's talking to these believers who are teaching people. They're saying, you're saved by faith in Christ and keeping the law of Moses. You need, to be, you need to put your faith in Christ. You need to be circumcised. And you need to keep the law of Moses. And Paul's saying, this isn't it. You're missing it. And he's rebuking them. Pretty strong talk here. In verse 1, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? How strong, isn't it? Right, right. That you should not obey the truth. Remember, grace and truth go together, not truth and law. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ, remember, he goes with grace and truth, was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did God come into your life because you were doing everything perfectly? (laughs) No, right? It's by faith. We're saved by faith, by grace through faith. Or through the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What do you think? What's the right answer? Hearing of faith. God will move in your life if you'll just trust him, right? He's not waiting for you to be perfect. He's waiting for you to trust him, right? Hallelujah. Let's see. Where did I stop here? Verse 6, right? Just as Abraham. See, we're of the faith of Abraham, aren't we? Just as Abraham. We're not of Moses. We're of Abraham, right? He's the father in the faith. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for what? Righteousness, righteousness regardless of the mistakes he made. His righteousness was not based on his performance. It was based on the one who was leading him. God credited his righteousness to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. Verse 7, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. I can go to church my whole life and not know Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles, those are the, the pagans who had no covenant with God, that he would do that by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one... No exceptions here, right? No one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by being perfect. No, the just shall live by faith. What is that confidence in who God is and what he's done for me? Right? Verse 12. Yet the law, uh Oh, I don't know if we can say this in church, but the law is not of faith. Wow. You know what, what also says in the scriptures, what does not come from faith is sin. sin. We said last week the power of sin is the law from the scriptures, right? Yes, right? This is serious business. Legalism is serious business. It keeps you from experiencing God's destiny for your life. The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you want to go that route, oof. You can, but I don't recommend it. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Who did that? Jesus, right? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There's that word promise again, right? Through faith. When I promise you something, what am I doing? I'm revealing the desires of my heart towards you, right? When Jennifer and I stood on the altar almost 21 years ago, right, we, we made promises to each other. Not because the state we were married in required us to make those promises, but because in our heart we had desires towards each other and we were speaking forth the desires of our heart, and that's what God does when he gives you his promise. He's revealing his heart towards you, right? There's no law about it. It's love. Verse 17, for time's sake, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, (laughs) cannot, cannot, no way ever, annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Very important. You'll find that promises are really important. It's through God's promises that we experience him. And what many people end up doing is they end up focusing on their performance and they're always measuring their performance in their relationship with God. I shouldn't have done that. Did I do this right? Oh, I could have done that better. But the freedom comes and the strength to do what's right comes when you major on his promises. 2 Peter chapter 1 says it best. Verse 2. Grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. And peace, that's arine in the Greek, right? Wholeness, well-being, prosperity, being set at one again. Being multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, not knowledge of calculus, knowledge of God. That's talking about relationship, right? Knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things. There's that Romans 8.32 again, Right? that pertain to life. So God, through His divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life. Anything you can think of that pertains to life has been given to you through Him. And godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue. Now look at verse 4. By which His glory and virtue, He's given to us His exceedingly great and precious promises. Why did He do that? That through these, through his promises, you might experience him, right? Become a partaker of his nature. So we major in the promises of God as disciples of Christ, as sons and daughters of God. Man, we are are all over those promises. We read them, we meditate in them, we memorize them, we speak them over our lives and over our families, because that's where the heart of God is, right? So Abraham started to catch on to this. It got to the point where, where God actually changed his name. He was Abram and went to Abraham and Abram's going a day in the life of Abraham now, and God speaks to him. He, he goes into Egypt. He leaves Egypt. He's prospering. He's following God. And then something happens. A war breaks out where five kings go against four kings. And we know that Abraham's a person just like you and me. Sometimes we read people in the Bible, and we think they are made of, of marble or something, right? But he's living real life on planet Earth just like you are today. And he had trouble. He had issues. He had challenges. So a war breaks out, and they take captive his nephew. And families are taken captive and possessions. Abraham learns of it. And remember, this is a man walking with God now. He's got a promise from God. And he knows that God is greater than any army that could come against him. And he gets his hired men, and he goes after the five kings and the armies of the five kings that took captive his nephew. He rescues them and their families and all of their possessions. This is in his real life now. And and salvation comes to his family. And they're celebrating not only uh, the the, um, reunion, the safety that they have, but God's goodness, that God brought this about, that it was God's promise in Abraham's life that gave him the strength to do what he did. And in the midst of this celebration, Jesus shows up. Isn't this awesome? Let's take a look at that now. In Genesis chapter 14, Jesus shows up. In the midst of the deliverance and the celebration that that came about through faith in God's promise, Jesus shows up. If you want Jesus to show up in your life, put your faith in his promises. Hallelujah. So in Genesis chapter 14, for time's sake, we'll jump to verse 18. And Melchizedek means king of righteousness, who was king of Salem, which is from Shalom. The Hebrew for peace, which is like Irene, which means wholeness, right? The king of righteousness, the king of wholeness, the king of prosperity, the king of being set at one again. Brought forth bread and wine. If anyone knows how to celebrate, Jesus does, right? And he was the priest of the most high God. There was no Levitical priesthood at this time, all right? Verse 19, and he blessed Abraham. There's a celebration going on. What's in, it, what's in Jesus' heart to do? Oh to take or to give? Yes. To give, right? To bless. Yes. And he said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, being Abram, gave Melchizedek tithes of all. You know what I think I forgot to do you can just put Hebrews 7 in there. But if you'll read Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 8, it explains to us who Melchizedek is. This Melchizedek only appears once, and this is it in the Bible. He's talked about like three times. But in Hebrews chapter 7, you can read it, verses 1 through 8. It says this Melchizedek had no mother. He had no father. He had no beginning. He had no end. He had the power of an endless life. There's only one who's got that, right? It was Jesus appearing in. Remember what Jesus said? Abraham saw my day and rejoiced and he was glad, right? So here's Jesus coming, and what's Abraham's response to him? What's it say in verse 20? <laughs> he gives to him 10% of everything he has. Why did he do that? Did the law tell him to do that? Was it his religious duty? No. He was so grateful. He was so grateful. He said, Jesus, I just want to bless you. You've blessed me so much. I want to bless you. Right? So this is how we live. Right? We're of the faith of Abraham. Hallelujah. Well, what about you now? Here we are in 2015, Abraham's in heaven, watching us, cheering us on. Are you putting your faith in the promises of God in your daily life? I mean, there's a lot going on in 2015. A lot of challenges, right? A lot of, a lot of different systems in the world, different types of government, different political parties. Um, there's, there's terrorism. There's economies that are crumbling. What about you? What should we do? What, are the promises of God great enough for 2015? Does God have provision for you that's greater than your situation and circumstance? Of course he does, right? So as we finish up this morning, I want to encourage you to begin to put your faith in God's promises in your daily life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Well, let's do 25 first. Verse 25, this is Jesus talking like Melchizedek. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Wow, is that radical, huh? Whew, what does the TV teach you to do? Take lots of thoughts for your life, right? Therefore take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, the body than raiment? I like how the message says, verse 26, put that up there. Look at the birds. We're bird watchers, aren't we? Right? Free and unfettered. Never seen a stressed out bird, unless my cat was chasing it, right? But (laughs) free and unfettered. Not tied down to a job description. I love that. There's such a freedom in Christ to be who He made you to be. Careless in the care of God. That's you in 2015, 2016. God wants you to live careless in his care. If the birds can do it, you count far more to him than birds. And let's jump all the way. Let's see. Let's jump to verse 30. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you, do his best for you. There's some beautiful wildflowers if you've ever traveled drove cross country and some beautiful things that are hardly ever even seen by people, right? Well, if God does that to the flowers of the field, how much more will he do for you? Verse 31, what I'm trying to do this morning is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Verse 31, here it is again, therefore take no thought, saying what shall we eat, what should we drink? What are we going to wear? Verse 32, for all these things the people who don't know God are stressed about, right? But look at the end of verse 32. Religion never told me this. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. Religion tells you you don't need these things, right? You don't need clothes. You don't need food. You don't need money. But God knows what Jimmy Stewart knew, right? right? Money comes in handy down here, doesn't it? Remember what he said to the angel? Comes in handy down here, bub, right? God knows you need these things. He knows you need clothes, right? Flowers get new clothes every season, right, every spring, right? Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. I grew up in a church that taught ministers that taking a vow of poverty was holy. Then I read the Bible and found out that Jesus, he began his ministry by preaching good news to the poor. What's good news to someone who's poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. Right? right? That he became poor, that we might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Right? So he knows you need these things. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I like the way verse 33 is said in the message. Can we put that up there? And this is for you. Steep your life in God reality. God initiative. yes, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. He's got you covered. So we're going to be like tea bags this week, right, in a hot cup of water, man. We're just going to soak in the promises of God. Regardless of what news is happening in the world around us, we're in that warm, hot water of God's promises. And all the flavor, all the purpose, all the gifts that he's put inside of us are being brought forward as we soak in him. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your amazing love. You're great. We soak in you. We steep our lives in you, the reality of you, in your provision, in your initiative in our lives. We refuse to live life in our own strength, in our own wisdom anymore. We're going to take you at your word. he is. Yeah.